Hi, and welcome to Com Church Talks. This is our sermon of the day. We pray it will be a real blessing to you. I know you'll be encouraged, challenged, and uplifted by the talk you're about to hear. God is good, isn't he? He is very good. Oh, so yes, Helena, you're right. We missed an opportunity there. When we used to do that, Jim was always the loudest. God is good. And all the time. <laughs> Let's take us back to the 90s. That's great. That's great. A bit of Don Moen. There we are. Um, so this morning, I, uh, I, I'm going to carry on the series that we started last week, that Sarah started last week, on harvest, the goodness of God. Now, if you um, are observant, and uh, I think most of you are, you would have noticed that there's some greenery in the room this morning. And uh, if you came near the front or you could, when you stood, you see there's some grass here at the front too. And the whole point of that, we're going, I'm hoping to take you on a journey today. Now we're going to go on a journey that starts over here in a garden. We start here in a garden and the journey is going to take us all the way to a field. And we're going to visit two places. We're going to go to two mountainsides. So I hope you've got your hiking boots on. We're going to go to two mountains on our journey. And the point of that this morning is to show God's goodness. This is going to show God's goodness. So we begin our journey this morning at the garden. So we begin our journey at the beginning. So we're going to talk about the story. We start right over here. And the beginning of when... God's timeline, which is eternal, though he has no beginning and no end, meets our timeline. It's where the stories meet. It's where the journey of humankind began. And that place is in a garden. Now, if you know the story of uh, the garden, you've been to, I don't know, RE lessons or you were at uh, a junior church somewhere, you know the garden is called the Garden of... There you go, Garden of Eden. Now, Eden is a, it's a wonderful place. It's a great word also. The word um, Eden means to, that is delight or pleasing. It's a great place, and God was pleased with it. He was pleased to have humanity enter. So all his creation, and when he made everything, he said it was good. And the completion of that, humankind, when everything was together, he said, it is very good. It is very good because he is good and what he makes is good and what he does is good because he is fundamentally good. At the foundation of who he is, he is good, he is love, he is generous, he is kind and that who, who God is. And so as we start over here, we start in the, um, in the garden. Uh, now this is much better than my garden. If you see my garden, my gardening skills aren't very good but God's were amazing. He's the best gardener. Um, and... If <laughs> I'm not, just thinking about my garden, just thinking how good God's garden must have been, and then look at mine and go, he must be a little disappointed. But he's not. He's okay. He's all right. He doesn't expect us all to be good gardeners. Uh, and so we went to he this this place. He built this perfect kingdom. It was a perfect kingdom with perfect order. God was king, and mankind knew that there was this perfect order of God and man. God was king, and that order was very good. And they enjoyed the company of one another. They enjoyed each other's company. And as it should be, mankind walked with God on a daily basis and understood that. And this, 
this creation where planted man, man was pla- mankind was placed in the garden and was given a kind of uh, dominion over humanity, uh, over the creation, as kind of like vice regents, if you like, to come and oversee everything he'd made. And he, he did that with one proviso. He said, you can eat from everything in this garden. It's all yours. You can have it all except for one. Do not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for you, you surely die. Now, if you've got children, you would know that when you tell your children not to touch something, not to go somewhere, the one thing they want to do is do that. <laughs> yeah, there are some adults like that too. Don't do that. Don't do what? <laughs> oh. But we can do that, can't we? And we can do that. And, 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 it, is, and it is a, a, a thing. And maybe it's just inherent in us. You, know? so we, you imagine God's frustration and he's saying, don't do that. But there was a, there was a creature in this garden, the this, this serpent. And the Bible says that he was the craftiest of all creatures. He was crafty. And what he'd done, he managed to uh, trick Eve by getting her to eat this fruit. Now, the promise Maybe it was the promise to humans that, that he gave, that he said, that he suggested, that you know, they, they could have all this knowledge. They could be like God, maybe even God's themselves. You, you won't die. Surely not. And so this lie kind of started to kind of build up, and they started to, she started to believe it. Mankind started to believe it. But the greatest deception came in the bits that, they, that he left out. Kind of, yes, you can be, you're going to be like God's. You are going to have all this knowledge. You're going, to, you're going to be second to none almost. And that's a great, pro- oh, yeah, amazing. But it's the bits he left there. It's like if you've got a, a contract and you get the bit in the contract you read and then there's all these, like, all these like, side notes and all the small print that you don't really read, but they're there. But here, there was no small print. Just didn't bother to say. Didn't bother to say that, oh, actually, by the way, also, you'll be cut off from the presence of God. You will die. You will be separate from God. And when the fruit was eaten, that is what happened. Mankind was separate from God. That fellowship they had with the loving Father, their source, their protection, their safety was cut off. It was missing. It was gone. And they were tricked. And as you know the story, his protection and guidance and closeness that they shared was gone. And then this thing called sin entered the world. Now, sin is an interesting word because um, it comes from a, a Hebrew word called katar. Now, the reason I say that is because that word means it helps us understand what sin means. It's not just like naughty, naughty, naughty. No, it means something far more vast. It means to fail or miss the goal. For example, so if you're, if you're on a journey, so we're on our journey from the garden. So if you're on a journey, you've got a map and you've misread the, the map and you're, you're wondering about and you end up somewhere where you weren't meant to be. You've missed your goal. You've failed to reach your destination. So someone would get to the place and they would guitar their way, miss their way, lose their way. And so we as humanity are like that. We've, we're on this journey and we're walking, we've missed our way. We've ended up somewhere we weren't meant to be. And that's where when we say people are lost, it's not, it's like they've followed their own map and have arrived at a place they shouldn't be. And when we do that, when we do that in our lives, 
we miss the point and missing the mark. So, for example, uh, if if someone was a slingshot and they could fire the sling at someone like a hair on someone's head, they would not katar. They would not miss the mark. They would hit the mark every single time. But because we're not following God, mankind no longer follow God. We missed the mark. We missed what God had made for us. And so this word, this sin that entered, this failure um, of God meant that when we who were made in his likeness, we're supposed to honour and love one another. We're supposed to be um, generous as he is. We're supposed to see what he sees and walk with him. And because of the serpent, we miss the goal and the fail to do the great two greatest things that God has called us to, to love God and love others. And mankind missed that mark. So I'm going to start with, as we're on this journey from here, we're on our now, we're now on our journey. And there's one scripture, this isn't going to be my main scripture this morning, it's from Genesis 3. Now I'm going to read it, then I'm going to read it from the New Century Version because it helps us understand it a little bit better. But Genesis 3.15 says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Now, this is God talking to the serpent. This is God talking to the serpent, this crafty creature. And he's talking to the serpent. And he says, so in the New Century Version, it says this, just makes it a little bit clearer for me. It says, I will make you and the woman enemies of each other. You're going to be an enemy. Your descendants and her descendants will be enemies. So those who follow on, who follow the line, we are part of that line, just to let you know. One of her descendants will crush your head. So talking to the serpent, and you will bite his heel. Now we're going to talk a little bit about that as we go on our journey. But uh, some understand this, some um, kind of um, sort of thinkers, whatever, call this the, it's an interesting word, it took me a while to say it, the proto-evangelium. Well, that's a fancy word, isn't it? Basically means first gospel, is what that means. It's the first proclamation, the first announcement that something has happened. We broke the relationship with God, and in that moment, God has already planned for something to happen. God is already working because he is good. God's already working to repair the damage done. Before it's happened, there is a plan. And he's made this announcement to the serpent. Oh, you think you're sneaky? Well, this is what's going to happen. Someone's going to crush your head. You may bite his heel, but he's going to crush you. And so this thing, this anticipatory phrase, this scripture, uh, is kind of a glimmer of what the gospel is going to be. It just gives us an insight into what it might be. Some have said that Genesis 3.15 provides a seedbed for the messianic hope, the hope that's to come, Jesus who's to come. And this is a seedbed for that. And I like that word, I like that phrase, because it kind of fits with what we're doing and this journey we're on from the garden to the field. Now this first gospel um, is an amazing thing that it went out throughout eternity, showing God's goodness. God is good, and he had a plan in motion. And someone has said that, a guy called Kenneth Matthews wrote, that the serpent was instrumental in the undoing of the woman, and in turn the woman will ultimately bring down the serpent through her offspring. Who's to come? The one who's to come. So on our journey, we're going to meet that one. We're going to meet that person. We're going to meet the one who's going to bring, who's the one who's going to crush the enemy. 
And on our journey, this is an amazing thing. So this first announcement, this, this first gospel will be heard. So as time went on, mankind and God, and there was God speaking to his nation and a few people. So he, God gave his people something. And this is where we get to our first mountain. And this mountain is called Sinai. And we get there and God gives his people a list, gives them a thing which, which we would know as the Ten Commandments. There's the law and these Ten Commandments. These ten things which basically are showing mankind or exposing to them the two things we just already mentioned. If you follow these, you love God and you love others. That's basically what it is. And the spirit and the heart of the law and what this, these Ten Commandments are was that. But, as mankind, we were unable to keep it. We can't keep these commandments. We couldn't do it. So no matter what was in front of us, we were unable to keep it. And it showed mankind that as much as we tried, it actually exposed our, the, our hearts. It exposed our actions and our intentions. It showed that although this, this life that you could have had here, these are part of what the kingdom is like, and you can't keep it. So it was like showing Mankind, this is, what, this is what the kingdom's like, and we can't keep it. You can't live under it. And then in the Old Testament and in the New, there was a group of people who had oversight of the law and these commandments, and they would kind of add to it. It's like a kind of over-egging the, the law. They would make it harder and make it more difficult, but they, they thought they were helping. And it's like you know putting too much yeast into bread. There was too much stuff which didn't need to be there. And it made it harder to follow. And they were adding to it, and, and, and it's just really, really difficult trying to fulfill it. It's almost like they twisted it then into legalism and made it hard. They didn't get the spirit behind it. And then all of a sudden, these commandments almost became like a job description on how to earn the wages of salvation. Now, Paul, uh, the Apostle Paul, was a passionate follower of Jesus and a writer to many churches. And he would often say things like, um, this, these, or refer to it as the works of the law. You're working, you can't, trying, people, you're trying to work for your salvation. You can't be done. You can't earn it. And try, people trying to be good. And so they're trying to do stuff to get stuff in return, like a wage. And we know what the Bible says, the wages of sin is death. And so they're trying to earn it. They're trying to work it, make it, adding more to try and keep the law. But actually that makes it harder for people to keep because every time they do something, they do something wrong. So it's exposing in mankind, actually, it's difficult to keep. Romans 7 um, says in the Passion Translation, it says this. So what should we say about all this? He says, am I suggesting that the law is sinful? Well, of course not. In fact... It was the law that gave us clear definition of sin. For example, when, I, when the law said, do not covet, it became the catalyst to see how wrong it was for me to crave what belongs to someone else. It was through God's commandment that sin was awakened in me and built its base of operation within me to stir up every kind of wrong desire. For in the absence of the law, sin hides dormant. There was sin, there was this failure, missing the mark, there was this losing our way. That's, it was there. And what the law did, it wasn't bad. What the law did is expose that. And it exposed our heart and our intention. We can't do it. No matter how much we tried, we cannot do it. And people broke it every single day. You broke one of it, you broke all of it. Because the spirit of the law is God is good. 
There's goodness, and God is good, and we cannot do that. So this failure, this sin needed to be defeated. It needed to be crushed, but mankind could not do it. And so we needed someone who was good to truly win this fight. We needed someone truly good to win this fight. Because it was only goodness that was going to defeat the evil that was through sin and death. So this announcement, this, this call, this, this gospel went out. And although in Genesis it was a, a, a warning to the enemy, it was also a promise to us. There was a warning to the enemy that although you think you've defeated humanity, actually someone's going to come into humanity, not from it, into it, and then going to crush you. But you think you're going to win maybe by, by hurting him and damaging him. And it was this good news, this message, and this message of goodness is for everyone. This message of goodness is for the, um, for, it goes out throughout eternity. It's for the poor, it's for the wealthy, it's for the, it's for the hungry, it's for the, those who have. It's for every single person, whether we think we're good or bad or indifferent. And this person is going to be crushed. After he crushes them, he's going to be hurt in doing so. And so we, we continue our, our journey as, we, as we're moving along on our, on our journey. So we've got, we've got from the garden to the first mountain. And so that explains where we are. And so in this story, this is good news for a couple of, couple of many reasons, but these are two that I'm going to choose. The good news is for the non-believer. So if that's you here this morning, please don't think I'm pointing fingers, but this should help us understand together that the deception that we had from the serpent is exactly that. It is a lie. And because what it did, actually, for the first time, humans questioned God. Started questioning God. And we, and we still do that today, don't we? We question God. And it was the first, the serpent's words were against God. And it was kind of mankind had to choose between the two. And it's the first doctrine of truth that was to be denied, the judgment of God. Now, we don't really want to be judged by God. But there's these words because what we did when we broke that law, when we broke that covenant with God, and we broke that promise with God, there was a judgment. Now, we can try all kinds of ways. People have done it through centuries, whether it's to be um, try and do good, do good works, do charitable work, try and go to church, be religious, maybe go to a priest and um, sort of confess, do your confession, whether it's, or even to the point where people might just say, well, if I don't believe in God, he can't judge me. That doesn't work. It's like standing in a road with a car coming towards you saying, well, I don't believe in the car. It's not going to hit me. I mean, we've got to trust the driver, I guess. But if there's something, a rock rolling towards us down a mountainside, we can say, well, I don't believe in that rock, so it's not going to hurt me until it hits us. God's judgment is coming, but someone has made a way for there to be forgiveness. So enter the story, the Son of God, Jesus, the God incarnate who came to proclaim the announce the gospel, the good news, the one who said the kingdom is near. So the kingdom that was broken, the kingdom is coming, it's near, it's on its way. The return to the kingdom where God is king and we have fellowship with God again. That kingdom is near. He spoke of it, he lived it, God's good. he lived God's goodness on earth. He was good enough. 
no matter how much humanity did not want to receive it or wanted to believe the deception that they were in, that they were maybe gods of their own kingdom, Jesus came in to that timeline. Jesus was speaking God's message of goodness and displaying it through miracles, signs and wonders, changing the authorities on the earth, bringing what was light into darkness, bringing what was sickness and then bringing it into healing. He would do an amazing work. He would come and show people, this is God's kingdom. This is what it's like. You may look at this kingdom over here, but this is what God's kingdom is like. He showed goodness. He showed power and authority. He showed love. And so we come to our next mountain, one that we may, some might not understand or know as Golgotha, the place of the skull, the place where Jesus was crucified. So on our journey now, we're at our second mountain and we look at it and we see the cross and we see what Jesus has done and we see actually what could have been if you looked at it from the outside, looked at it and seen defeat. But we know this was a public display. The Bible tells us that what Jesus was doing on the cross was a public display of God's goodness. Where we were unable to bring a sacrifice, where we were unable to do something that God says cannot be done by humanity, Jesus does it on the cross. He gives his life that those who who are unforgivable can now be forgiven. Those who are unlovable can now be loved. Those who are not good enough in Christ are good enough. Because we look to Jesus. And the most amazing thing about the cross, when you stand on the mountain at the bottom of the cross, you stand on level ground. doesn't matter who you are, what state of position you have in the world, doesn't matter who you are. There's no hierarchy at the bottom of the cross. There's us and there's him. We're all on level ground. Some of us might not feel good enough to stand there. It's because we're not. But Jesus makes us good enough. We stand. He doesn't say we'll become good enough and come to the cross. He says, come to the cross, stand on level ground and look at the Saviour. This is God's goodness. This is our harvest, what he has for us. He's prepared a way. He's put this seedbed right back in Genesis. And then right now at the cross, at this mountain, we stand on level ground, equal. The Bible tells us there's no man, no woman, no Greek, no Jew. There's no, in Christ, we're all the same. So no matter who you think you are, who the world has told you you are, in Jesus, we are equal. In Jesus, we are forgiven. In Jesus, we are loved. Now, I know I'm going to talk about this in a minute, but when we come to Jesus, we can come with who we are, but we don't leave the same. We don't come and say, well, you've got to accept me as I am, and I'm going, you, can, you can't tell me any different. Jesus says, well, come to me. And when you leave, because you've been with Jesus, you don't leave the same. He changes us. He transforms us. And so this beautiful bit of text here from the book of Colossians 2, 13 to 15 it says that when we were spiritually dead because of our sins and because we were not free from the power of sin um, and the power of sinful self, God made you alive with Christ and he forgave all our sins. He, this is amazing. He cancelled the debt. Anything we owed, he cancelled it. So I got rid of it. There is no debt anymore. In Jesus, there is no debt. He cancelled the debt. Made, God made you alive in Christ and he forgave all your sins. That's incredible. And so that list of, it says, all the rules that we fail to follow, he cancelled those. 
He took away that record, its rules, and nailed it to the cross. God stripped the spiritual rulers and powers with their authority with the cross. He won the victory and showed the world that they were powerless. What seemed to be defeat then became a victory. What seemed to be something that was lost has been won. Jesus brought back the kingdom to earth in himself. Miracles, signs, wonders were displayed to show God's kingdom when he arrived. We didn't deserve it, but God's goodness delivered it. I hope you got that. We didn't deserve it, but God's goodness delivered it. It's here. It's here right now. As you look at that picture, those crosses on that mountain, that's still here. We look at the past and go, oh yeah, that was nice. It's a nice Easter story. But no, it's here now. It's alive. It's living. It's still working. It's still happening. still changing. God is not dead, as some might say. God is still alive. You may not sense him every single moment of every single day. You might think, look at the world and think, what's going on? God is in control. We need to trust him completely. We need to put our lives into him because of what he's done. We're right back in this garden here. We might seem to have failed. Humanity has failed. But no, God has a plan in Jesus. He shows his goodness and there's a harvest coming. This message, as I said, is for all of us. And the whole world needs to hear it and the whole world needs to understand it. The message was proclaimed that shows us that God is good. In Romans 5, 8, in the Passion, says, Christ proved God's passionate love for us by dying in our place when we were lost and ungodly. God's goodness means that he crushed his son for our failure. He defeated the works of sin and exposed the deception of the servant, a serpent and the lies of the devil. Jesus has died the death that we deserved and that's so that he could bring new birth to us. New birth, new creation, this kingdom again. God is so good. And in his goodness, he offers us a kingdom where he says to all of us to turn. He uses a word, there's a word that's used called repent. It means to turn. We turn from a kingdom where we are in control and think we are God. And he says turn to a place where Jesus is God. Jesus is our forgiveness. Where we think we are good enough. Who are you to judge me? To a place where, God, I lie down at your feet because I know I'm not good enough. But I know in you I'm forgiven. He lifts us up in that moment. He changes us and brings us to a point where there's forgiveness. We cannot do it in ourselves. So repentance is about turning from a kingdom where we are God to turn into a kingdom where he is God. And we need to do that. And then, it's also good news for the Christian. So on our final part of our journey, we reach the field. As we get to this field, it reminds us where we've come from. We've got all this way. So why a field? Well, let me explain to you why we go to a field. There's a scripture in John 4, 35. It says this. I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe to harvest. In the Passion, it uses these words. And it says, for their hearts, the hearts of all those out there, go out, look for all the people coming. There is a harvest. Now is harvest time. For their hearts are like vast fields of ripened grain, ready for a spiritual 
harvest. We need to go out and reap. Our job as Christians is then to go out into this world, to go out into the field where God has called us to. We need to go to the field because we started here. We have received, as we've gone on this journey, we have already received what Jesus has done. So we now need to go and do that proclamation. We are the ones that need to go out and make the announcement, the kingdom is here. The kingdom has come. And we pray, Lord, let your kingdom come. He he does that through us, through our mouths, through our words, through our actions, through our deeds, through what we do in our lives. He calls us to do that and we speak an announcement that Jesus is coming. The Holy Spirit helps us in that. And sometimes that can be a fearful thing, I know. But we can go out and the Holy Spirit, he leads us into all truth. He guides us and leads us. He is the spirit of truth. He's the one that announces to the world that they cannot do it. Sin is wrong and God is right. And he helps us as we go through. And life will get tough. So this is really important. As we're in the field, you know, we've got to plough the field. We've got to work. We've got to go. Not to earn salvation because that was already done. That's not our place. We go and we reach the world. And that will mean that might cost us. As we go into the fields, there will be persecution. Why? Because they, the world see the light in Jesus and hate him for it. And they see that in us. So we've got to remember, it's not that us they hate. It's the, it's the Jesus. And there will be trouble. There will be persecution. And we will face many trials. But let me announce to you, let me say to you, as the king has proclaimed it and he's coming, God is still good. No matter what we're going through as Christians, God is good. Why? Because here, what started there, the kingdom is coming. We may be here struggling, but as we look up, we see actually there's a hope. I'm here doing this, but God is good and he's set a place for me. He's gone ahead of me. He's gone before me to set a place where he is going to be and I'm going to be there with him. doesn't matter what happens in this life. God is good. So go, preach. Preach the gospel. Be out there. Be the ones who do the proclamation. Be the ones who speak the word of truth. We've got it in us. Let's do this together. Can we do this together? (laughs) I know. We used to sing a song, right? Back in the 90s. We we were talking about this at the creative, weren't we? I'm I'm kind of stuck in the 80s. So if you listen, I know. Thanks, Andy. So if uh, if you look at my playlists... Uh, it's all, all 80s, pretty much. You know, I, it can't be a bit of 80s. That's, that's my era. So I'm kind of stuck there, really. Um, but this song's from the 90s. So I've, I'm, I'm moving forwards. For some of you, it's still backwards, but I'm moving forwards. But this song, I wonder if you know it. All right, you, you'll know it. If you want to sing it, you can. It's up to you. Um, he is the Lord and he reigns on high. He... There you know it. Great. I love that. See, it's brilliant. And all these old songs, fantastic. He is the Lord and he reigns on high. He is the Lord. And there's a bit that says, show your power or send your power, depending on which part of the song you're singing. Send your power, show your power. But there's one line that always struck me and always got me because part of the heart of Com Church, which will remain part of our foundational truths and what we do is souls. We want to see people saved. It's, it's this, all this. I mean, if you've been here long enough, you'd have heard Doug and Helena say it, you would have heard Julian and Sarah say it. All this could go. If, we, if we, our message doesn't go out, all of this can go. This is, this is nothing. Bricks and mortar can go. All of this stuff. We need to know and reach people for Jesus. We need to go out there. And there's a line that says, this is brilliant, it says, we ask not for riches, but look to the cross. 
for our inheritance, give us the lost. That's a cry of our hearts. We go out and reach people for Jesus. The Father is calling people to Jesus and we just need to be there and proclaim the gospel. We need to be ready, listening to the Holy Spirit. Is someone receptive to, our, receptive to the message? Is someone going to be ready? Don't know. Let's just go preach. Some will hate us for it. Some will push us away. Some will kind of listen and some will receive it gladly. And whatever part that someone is on the scale, we need to be ready. We need to be ready in season and out of season. And it will be difficult at times. But Sarah said last week, um, if God's goodness equals things and stuff in your mind, then you've missed the point of goodness. We need to go out. The cost might be tough. The cost might be big. But it's nothing compared to what is to come. As we go on this journey, if you think about what the garden was like, we now go almost full circle. What the garden was like is now what's on the way. We look to it and we, the spirit in us, maybe with groans we don't understand, just calls out from us. Look, we need to be there. We want to be there because this is tough. We want to be there. And he says, I am with you through it. So don't think that when God sends you out, you're on your own. You're never alone. He's going to be with you. As you go on this journey, he's going to be with you. The kingdom is coming. And as believers, we need to take care how we live. So I'm going, to bring, I'm going to come to a close now. But I want to finish with this. As we go on our journey, as we go out into the world, we've got to remember that we go into the world, but we don't belong to it. We're in the world, not of it. Jesus hung around with prostitutes, drunkards and outcasts. But when he left them, they were free, healed, delivered. He hung around with prostitutes, drunkards and outcasts. And when he left, they were no longer prostitutes, drunkards and outcasts. They were changed. When Jesus went out into the world, people left different. They weren't the same. So my challenge to us, and this is really a challenge for me, that I want to share, share with us all. As we go out into this world, we go out into it, we're not of it. We go out into the world, yes, we might go out and reach people, we might hang around with people and whatever, but they should be different because of us have been there. We don't become different to, try to, to fit in with what they're doing. They should be different because we have been there. And for our lives, we're in a world that is self-obsessed and it's all about self but what you've got to remember is sometimes that is part of the cost, laying down who we are for the sake of Christ. It might be our reputation. It may even at some point cost us our jobs, our homes, anything. We've got to be ready. But that is nothing. Don't let me put that, let the fear come into you because of that. We've got to rebuke fear, right? Because Jesus has prepared a place that is far better. And that's coming. The kingdom has come and it is on its way and we are going there. The kingdom should change lives. So God is going out into this world and he is using us to go out to preach his message. But he's also calling the prodigal. He's also calling those who maybe, you know, you've, you've been around church and you've, you've done stuff and, you, and, you, and you've kind of maybe got like a map and you've got it and you... And, You've been looking at something else and not looking at, and you, and you look up and you go, hang on, this is not where I'm meant to be. 
This is, why did I get here? How did I get here? Sometimes we end up in situations we don't know how we got there. Maybe we've lost our way, lost our... You know, we've missed the mark in certain way. We all do. But Jesus is always there. Come. Like the father waiting for the prodigal son. Come. I know you're over there. Look, come, come. Waiting. Come on. And so we need to be in the world, but not of it. So to recap, I want to pray this morning. And I don't want it to be like, well, someone says that we're going to pray now, and then there's music, and then someone comes up again and says, look, we're going to pray now. And people sit there, yeah, I know that's me, but I'm going to wait for someone else to go. And then we play another song, and then someone else has to come. Look, the Holy Spirit is really talking now. Time is short, people. Time is short. It's a phrase that we've said, we can't play church. We are the church. And if you're not part of the church this morning, and if this message has gone out and you're hearing it, and you're going, I know I should do something, but I see all these people around. No, God is calling you. God is calling you. There's a message gone out, and that you need to hear it. If you're not a believer this morning, God is saying, now is your time. Time is something that is not infinite. It's going to run out. And our time on this earth is limited. And God is saying, now is the day of salvation. Now is the time. So as we worship, we've got some grass here. Now it's fake grass, so don't take your shoes and socks off because it's not going to feel good underfoot. But it's a representation of our journey. It's a representation of whether we need to come to the kingdom for the first time or whether we need to say, I'm going into the field to plough. Whether we've lost our way and God is saying, come back home. In that verse which says, the fields are ripe unto hope, it says, but the workers are few. There's plenty. There's fields are plentiful. There's harvest everywhere, but the workers are few. So I want to pray for several people this morning. My heart, what God is stirring in me is that we really want to see people know Jesus. It will be the best thing you've ever done. It might be a difficult thing. It was difficult for me. I was in a world where, you know, you talk about Jesus, it's not the kind of thing that you do. And all of a sudden, one day, one day, God brought me to a place where I went, Lord, I'm yours. And I'm talking to people who've got, what on earth are you talking about? Where's the Rob that we know? It cost me friendships. It cost me a job. But I gained family. I gained freedom. I gained salvation. I gained hope. It's something you can't buy. And it might cost you. But the cost is nothing compared to what he's going to give you. So if that's you this morning, when I call it, I want you to come up and we've got the SLT here. We're going to pray with you. There will be nothing more delightful than to lead you, to show you this Jesus, to pray with you and say, come to the altar. To join, to change your view of the kingdom from yourself to the kingdom of heaven, to the kingdom of God, from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. You're going to turn. And also I want to pray for those who say, I am going to be part of the few. 
call me the few. If you are going to be some of the few, I want you to come up here and we are going to pray with you. Because what God is leading you to do is be one of the few. And there's a reason for that. If there's a stirring in your heart and you've got this, 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 I know it's there. Come and we'll pray. It's not that us praying for you is going to be something mystical and wonderful, but it's an agreement to be part of the few. And the third group. So this is why if you all come up at once, it doesn't matter. We went to a conference a little while ago. and know when we sometimes do an auto call, people say, right, every head bowed, every eye closed, no one looking around. There's a guy who spoke, and it was amazing. And he said, right, I'm going to do an appeal now. And so with every eye open, every head raised, and everyone looking around, let's see who wants. And I thought it was brilliant. With every head raised, every eye open, and everyone looking around. Because you know it's genuine. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to say, come up. So you've got those who want to receive Jesus, maybe the first time. Those who want to be part of the few. And those who the Father's saying, come back home. Come back home. And then when you're home, go, I'm going to the field. Daddy, I'm going to the field. Thanks for listening to Com Church Talks. We'd love to hear from you and you're welcome to any of our Sunday services or midweek comms. For more information or to get in touch, visit our website at www.comchurch.org.uk or find us on Facebook. God bless.